Um, yeah, as uh, Jenny has said, my name's Fiona and I know there's a lot of new faces in this place that have come, um, that have been joining us for the last few weeks. I'm a research scientist, I just want to tell you a bit about myself. I'm a research scientist that does study theology. Uh, this is my first time preaching, so, you know, see how we go. I'm also an elder in the church, I'm one of four. Um, if you want to ever come and talk to me about something, that's feel free to do that. Uh, Andrew is our complaints department, so <laughs> that's him there, the tall one. So he'll come and um, sort out anything, <laughs> any problem you might have. But uh, Yeah, so welcome to church and um, I just wanted to say those songs kind of really roll in and set the, set the theme to what I'm going to be sharing. Some of what I'm going to be sharing, you know, you always pick up particular things where in your situation at that particular time. So as I had been thinking about this message and those songs, I was like, yeah, that'll tie in really nicely. And Sarah last week, hers well, hers was excellent. Has any has was anyone anyone who missed it last week, I really encourage you guys to listen to it. It was amazing. It is something that I had not heard preached in that way before and it was about sin and it was about um, it was actually about guilt and shame, but she did throw in a bit of sin in there. And the title was Joyful Repentance. Uh, it sounds like it's really heavy duty, but actually it's very, very life-changing. And if you missed out on any prayer last week um, relating to that, please come down the front this morning and, and receive prayer. That well worth a listen to. So last week, as I said, Sarah preached on sin and shame and she was talking about a guy called Zacchaeus. My guy this week is actually a guy who lives in Jerusalem and he's the guy by the well and he's waiting for a miracle. Anyone else waiting for a miracle? So today I'm going to read um, from my New Revised Standard Version. I've chosen this version because I think it best represents the character of Jesus. Okay, John 5, 1 to 9. After this there was a festival of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew or Aramaic Bethsaida. So some translations say Bethesda, some say Bethsaida. We're all talking about the same pool. And it has five porticos or five porches. In these porches lay many invalids, blind, lame and paralysed. One man who was there had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, he took up his mat and began to walk. So the verse I just want to focus on today is, is John 5.8, and it says, Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. Thanks, Meredith. So, as I was thinking about that particular passage, those few words, I couldn't decide on my title for today. So, I've given you three options. As I said earlier, sometimes certain things resonate with you depending on your situation or your circumstance. So, one of three, the first one is, what is your mat? The second one is, are you stuck in your mess? 
And the third one is, are you willing to take a risk? So just keep them locked away. It's about a month ago, what spurred this on? About a month ago, I was lying in bed and I was thinking about a situation. And I, I was feeling like, well, I wasn't sure what I was feeling. And I was thinking to myself, maybe I should just put that on hold, press the pause button for a little bit. I wasn't, um, didn't feel like I was in a good place. And so I was, as I was kind of thinking about this situation, those words came to my mind. Stand up, take your mat and walk. Immediately, I knew what that meant for me. I was not to quit. I was to pick up my mat. For me, my mat was my fragility and my, fra my failings. And I was just to walk as God had asked me to walk. So that was my encouraging word from the Lord. Just, just keep doing it. Just keep going. And basically just park my feelings and just get on with it. And basically that's what I've done. I haven't really had another thought about how I was feeling at that time. I've just left that behind and figured that God will sort out whatever needs to be sorted out as I just keep going on the journey. And so that was just an absolute revelation to me. And so when Mark asked me to think about this, to think about what I was going to talk to you guys today, I just kind of kept thinking and um, meditating on those words. And I realised that these are actually, it's a really complex um, scene and there's a lot going on in this scene. It's more than just another healing story on the Sabbath. It's actually um, specific and it actually has a lot to say. So what I'm going to do is, because there's, there's a lot in this, I'm just going to cover a few points. I'm going to talk through the story and then I'm going to hopefully um, show you how it applies to your life. And, and that way you'll know what goes on in my mind sometimes. Sometimes it's a complex thing. Um, <laughs> Thanks, friends. And, uh, and hopefully you'll get something out of it. Maybe you'll get some healing. Maybe you'll be willing to take a risk. Maybe you just will feel valued and loved. So I just want to pray. So if everyone just close their eyes just to settle. Except you, Dave. Thank you. You can keep yours open. I don't want you to fall asleep. <laughs> Thank you, Heavenly Father, for an opportunity to take a risk today to step out over the edge and to just share your heart with, with my friends here. Lord, I just ask that you just speak to each one individually, Lord, that you just show them, Lord, what, what they mean to you, Lord God. Um, and Lord, I just ask that you speak directly to their hearts, Lord, that you help them to be changed, Lord, and to just see, see themselves as you see them, Lord. So thank you, Heavenly Father, in your mighty name. Okay, so the first part of the story I want to focus on is when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. He arrives in Jerusalem and the first thing he does is he sees the man. This man was one of many sick people around this pool. There was other people just as unwell as him. So what made Jesus bypass these people? The Bible doesn't tell us why he bypasses them. But what it does tell us is that he sees this man and he is focused on this man and he chooses this man. He chooses this man out of those many people that are just hanging around. Well, they can't go anywhere. They're all invalids, right? But um, so they're all there and, he, and sometimes I was thinking to myself, he might have even known this man was there. I mean, 
it seemed like he was very intentional about this guy. He saw him, he sees him, he focuses in on him and he goes straight towards him. He was intentional in his actions. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is intentional in his actions. And, you know, maybe he actually knew about this guy and his business from divine inspiration. But what we do know is, is that Jesus was about the Father's business and he always did what he saw the Father doing. And so clearly God had a plan for this guy and this plan involved this man and... um, Yeah, he had a plan involving this man and this encounter with Jesus changed his life. So what do we know about this man? He's sick. He's been lying on his mat for 38 years. The Bible doesn't tell us he was born sick. I mean, in John 9.1 it says when he talks about the blind man, he was blind from birth. So this man, he had been living his life and he has become sick. It doesn't tell us how old he is. He's been there for 38 years. So what we can assume is the man's sickness came upon him during his lifetime. The sickness definitely wasn't something that excluded him from the city, like leprosy, which was considered unclean. So he was actually just had a general run-of-the-mill sickness. Maybe it was physical, maybe it was emotional, But this sickness was enough to debilitate him so much that he could not lead a normal life. You know, do regular things, go about his business, cook tea, look after himself. Maybe he had a family, he doesn't mention that. But this sickness wasn't enough to isolate him from community. So he could hang out amongst all these other people that were sick and other folks that were probably passing by who were going about their business. And he probably received alms from people, you know, Jerusalem Meals on Wheels or something. But anyway, this guy, I reckon, would have been really stinky. So as I said earlier, I'm a research scientist. I work in the lab and I handle various types of chemicals. And there's this one chemical that we have. It's called tumacaptoethanol. And all chemicals come with a warning sign. And this chemical says extreme stench. It does, extreme stench. Um, So when I use this chemical, I basically use it in a fume hood, which means it extracts the air out out of the building. That's how bad it is. And so it's like this thick, dense, heavy, stenchy chemical that just hangs around. But sadly, there are some things I need to use it for that I'm not in a fume hood. And it, when I use it on the bench, it is terrible. And when people come into the lab, I feel like saying, it's not me. <laughs> we do try and contain this smell, but it just is uncontainable. And it can be days later where I can walk into the lab and think to myself, where is that? Where is that? I used to work with a guy and he used to tell me that it was um, the best revenge weapon ever. So when I think of this guy, I, that's the first smell that comes to my mind. And I just think, this guy needed a sign. But maybe for you it might be the smell of rotten egg. Something similar. But it's a smell that just hangs around in the air and sticks to you when you go past. Something that um, you can still smell from quite a distance. That's the kind of smell I reckon was on this guy. He'd been there 38 years 
living in the same clothes, sleeping on the same bed. Imagine your bed sheets after 38 years of staying in the same sheets. Probably ate on the mat, probably went to the toilet on the mat. We don't know what kind of um, handicap he had. So imagine that kind of terrible combination of food, body odour, toilet habits for 38 years. This guy, this guy was a bit on the nose. But the interesting thing is, what happens? Jesus goes to this man and he bends down and he gets close to him. Imagine that. And he leans in and he says to him, do you want to be made well? The man responds, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. What's interesting here is that rather than the man saying yes or no, he he offers up an excuse. And as I was thinking about this excuse, I was thinking to myself, this might just be a matter of perception. Maybe he only thought he had no one to help him. Maybe he only thought he he was alone. I mean, he's surrounded by these people. People go past him every day. He's been there for 38 years. Surely he's made a friend. I mean... What's going on? He could have asked someone for help. And he seemed to be persistent. He was going down, every th- going down to the pool every year. I mean, he was giving it a bit of a go. What do you think was really stopping him from getting into the water first? Maybe it was his thought life. I don't deserve to be healed. Not after what I've done. I'm not worthy. It won't happen for me anyway, even if I do get in the water first. That person is more deserving than me. I'm not asking for help. I don't want people to think I can't handle myself or my situation on my own. I made my mess. I'll sort it out. I'm full of pride and I don't want to see people. I don't want people to see me. I need help. I'll just suck it up and keep living with it. Isn't it isn't that bad? I'll do it another time. Next time, maybe. Maybe the time after that. How about this one? I'm happy in my mess. It makes me who I am. But Jesus, at that moment, Jesus speaks to this man. And he says, stand up, take your mat and walk. Immediately, immediately, John 5.9 tells us that at once, the man was made well and he took his mat and began to walk. Amazing. Instead of sympathising with this man, hugging him and giving him a pat on the back, he speaks life into this man. He encourages him to make a life change and the words stand up and take your mat and walk actually empower this sick man to do it. He gives him an encouraging word. That encouraging word changes his life. Interesting, as far as I can tell, in this section, doesn't actually say that the man asked for healing. That blows that theory. He didn't even know who Jesus was. How can that happen? All Jesus did was go to this man and offer him an invitation. And the man said, yes, he received it. 
Interesting. I wonder what Jesus saw in this guy that no one else saw in this guy. He must have looked pretty wretched and weathered. His body was all contorted maybe, ripped up clothes. He was just one of many. Man, and he must have smelled. Jesus looked past all of that. What did he see? He was obviously looking at the man's heart. And when Jesus spoke those words to him and offered him healing and a new life, the man responded. He took a risk and he got up. He had no idea if he was going to be able to get up. He just did it. Jesus said, get up, stand up, take your mat and walk. Okay, I'll give it a go. Those words empowered him. Jesus empowered him. Jesus spoke and he empowered the man to do it. But you know what? He just didn't stand up and just hang around in that same spot with his mat in his mess. He actually left that place. He walked off. He'd been lying in that same spot for 38 years. He picked up his mess, picked up his mat and just left. Jesus spoke and he got about Jesus' business. He offered him the the gift of new life and he took it and he left immediately to get started. That encounter blows my mind. And I didn't really understand how amazing it was until those words were spoken to me that night. Those encouraging words. Just just do it. But you know, this story can just be dismissed as another healing story. Another healing Jesus does in the Bible. You know, he's, you know, challenging the religious. But you know what? It is a nice story until you realise that I'm the man. I'm the man in this story. We are the man in this story. And it doesn't matter if we already have new life in him or not. I mean, this guy could have been a part of the religious elite or the governing body or something doesn't actually tell us. He could have just gotten in with the wrong crowd and ended up by the pool. Who knows? Doesn't tell us his background, so we can insert our own narrative into this story. So I just want to encourage you that Jesus sees you on your mat. He sees you in your life situation. He's encouraging you to take that risk. He doesn't want you to remain in that same place. He knows your past, he knows your present, and he knows your future. I mean, if you've been around for a while, you probably realise that life is hard sometimes. Things happen, things happen to you that are beyond your control. Sometimes we make stupid choices. That's just the way we are. But what I understand from this story is that Jesus doesn't want those, those choices, those stupid choices or, or those things that have happened to us to debilitate us. He doesn't want those things to stop us from doing normal life right now. And remember, this guy is in community. Who's sitting next to you? Maybe someone next to you is really doing it tough. Maybe they're really good at putting on a church face. Hey, I'm okay, pal. But you know what? We just need to be aware of one another. Sometimes every day could be a battle for someone. And you know, as we go through life, we pick up these Klingons, these wounds, these traumas, these disappointments, these hurts, these pressures. These kind of just stick to us. 
bit like that stench, you know. But Jesus doesn't want us to remain in that state and he's offering an invitation. He wants us to pick up our mat and walk. He doesn't want us to just get up and stand in our mess. He wants us to leave it behind. The question is, are you willing to take the risk? Let it go, walk away from it, start a new life, start a new life in him. Only you can decide that. I just want to finish up on this story. A few years ago now, in 2018, back when you could travel, my brother invited me on this hiking trip. And um, the most hiking I'd done was as a girl guide, Dorigo or something. <laughs> he invites me on this two nine-day hikes in the Dolomite mountain range in Italy. Two very famous tracks. Three-day break in the middle, we'd be carrying all our gear, but we'd be sleeping in huts. All our food was provided, was included, excellent. Sounds easy, right? So I asked the question, do you think I can do this? He goes, yeah, piece of cake. It would be great. <laughs> so I trained, made sure I was fit enough to actually get up these mountains. Thought, oh yeah, this is good. Day one, day of truth, go from this place called Braze Lake to Senna's Hut. 9.8 kilometres walking basically up. You know, if you want to hike in the mountains, you've got to go up at some point and down at another point. A couple of hard yakka days. So anyway, I'm crushing it. I'm thinking, yeah, this is awesome. A couple of scary spots. Yeah, the path had vanished in a couple of places. No worries. Got over that. You beauty. Then we're about to hit the summit and I see that all there is is these two metal grab rails pressed into the side of the mountain. Huge death drop start thinking to myself, this is not good. This is not good. So I'm thinking, what, am I gonna, what have I got myself into? This is day one of a very long holiday. So we get up close, knees shaking, sweaty palms, six kilos on my back, walking poles. What do you do with these things when you're trying to climb with your hands? All these things going through my mind. And because I'm standing here, you know I made it, right? It was touch and go, but I made it. And, um, but the thing is, my sister-in-law, she says to me, I didn't know you were afraid of heights. I just want to clarify, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm just frightened of falling from a massive height to my death. <laughs> but she says to me, oh, okay, we'll meet, need to make sure you're okay on day three. Oh, great. <laughs> right then and there, fear enters. Day three arrives. Farnas hut to Legazawai hut. 12.5 kilometres to walk. I'm already worried. I'm scared. What on earth, what on earth am I going to face? Wasn't these grab rails, death drop scary enough? I was a little stressed, as you can imagine. And we just kept walking and walking and walking. Fantastic views, but this was just on my mind. Eight kilometres in, no turning back now, three quarters of the way, right? And we reached this Fichella saddle. That's the picture, just up there. It's, um, so we basically climbed all the way up to this. This is what I see. 
And I'm looking at the map and there's a drop down. Big descent on the other side. There's a bunch of people sitting there. I'm thinking they're just psyching themselves up to go over the top. I'm thinking oh, I've got to go sometime soon. And I have this battle in my mind. What am I going to do? I can't go back. I'm in the mountains. There's no taxi or cab that's going to get me anywhere. I need to go. I'm sitting there. Well, and I start to get overwhelmed with what I know is, is coming up. And so eventually it's the moment of truth, right? My brother just goes to me. You got this. We're with you. You'll be fine. We'll help you get down. Let me just tell you, there were other people who were very much like me at that moment. And so a whole host of us go over the edge, right? Go over the top. And you know what? You know what I see? The path. Path clear as day. The path opens up before me. But I had to take those first few steps. And you know what? It was a little bit tricky, but it was awesome. It was like one of the best parts of the track that I ever did on my whole trip. But the thing is, I actually had to go over the edge in order to see the path, in order to make my way down. Otherwise, I would have missed out. You can flick that over, Meredith, to the next one. There's the, there's the path. Can you see it? Next one, Meredith, please. That's part of the path. So by the end of that trip, we travelled 240 kilometres. And let me tell you, the, the picture my brother had painted right at the outset was nothing like I had thought it was going to be. But it was fantastic. It was one of the most life-changing experiences of my life. And this week he just rang me and said, hey, how about the Matterhorn? in 2040 and I was like yeah let's do it so what I just want to say to you today is I want to encourage you that Jesus sees you he sees you on your mat he sees you on your mess he knows how long you've been there he knows your situation he knows your pain he knows your past but he knows your future today and every day he's offering you an invitation to stand up take up your mat and walk that's the way he is. That's who he is. All you need to do is be willing to take the risk and say yes and step over the edge. Will it be scary? Yeah, most likely. Are you going to want to turn back? Yeah, probably. But you'll get three quarters of the way through and you'll just keep going. Just like that saddle, that path over the saddle. If I didn't do it, if I turned back, I would have missed out on an amazing journey. Don't say no. Don't miss out on an amazing journey. Um, thank you, Fee. What a challenge. Don't make excuses.